Hey guys, hope all is well. Today we will be filming podcast number five with co-host John Hardefillers and special guest Lucas Woodhouse. So, John, would you like to start us off for today? Sure thing, Lee. Uh, Lucas, excited to have you on. And we're curious about some of the background that you have, both in, whether it's with, with, with Sony Brook, just kind of what got you into basketball and, and what does that background for you look like in, in what you're doing now? Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me on. Um, so basically, I just started out when I was young age, loved basketball. It was basically my life. Loved all types of sports, but basketball is completely my main favorite. Um, just started playing with my local church league actually over here uh, in the Huntington area on Long Island here. And then I grew up to love it. And from a young age, I know I wanted to play college basketball. So I kind of set that goal from a young age. And then um, in high school, was fortunate enough to play for a really good coach and a really good team program here at Harbor Fields. Um, and we ended up winning a state championship. So a lot of us got recognized um, and ended up getting a division one scholarship to play college basketball, which was like a dream come true to me. Um, started out at Longwood University, small division one school in the Big South Conference down in Virginia. And then after two years, transferred to Stony Brook University um, and then played there for two years, finished out my career there. After college, went and played one year professionally overseas in Finland. And then I came back um, Worked a regular job, uh, like a, a caregiver job for one year, and then got into college basketball coaching. Um, coach Gino Ford, the head coach at Stony Brook, gave me a, a wonderful opportunity to be a part of their program at Stony Brook as a video coordinator. So I did that for a year, and then COVID hit uh, last year, and they actually cut the position, which was devastating for me because here I am thinking I'm in the business, uh, I get my feet, a foot in the door, and then they cut the position. Um, so now just doing some personal trainings locally in the area on Long Island, but also looking to get back into the coaching business this off season. Yeah. Like, like talk, like you kind of went over this, like the steps you took to, to get to where you are today. Like what steps do you take to get to becoming that video coordinator for Stony Brook? Yeah, basically it's a lot about relationships. Um, Right now, it's just a matter of if Stony Brook can get the money for the position or if there's moving pieces, if other guys go and other guys on different staff go and get other positions and just have there's some openings at some other schools. Um, it's all about contacts and your relationships with people. Um, so I'm just trying to use all of my contacts that I have to, to land on my feet somewhere. Super cool. And from all those experiences, obviously there, there's a, there's, there's a lot of um, opportunity for you to build those contacts. What do you, how, how do you do that? Cause there's networking is such a huge thing that everyone always talks about, but yeah. what have you kind of learned is, 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 and taken away from all these experiences as to how you can do that, do that properly. I think it's just being pleasantly consistent. I mean, showing, showing these, you know, coaches that you're willing to do whatever it takes for their program to help them succeed um and bringing value to their program but I, I think it's being pleasantly consistent you know shooting texts as much as you can um you don't want to overwhelm them because they have a season going on uh, most of the year but you know just just keeping in contact um you know every once in a while don't don't overwhelm basically shooting text messages calls stuff like that Yeah, like that's something like I've learned like to keeping to keep tabs of like 
coaches like from around the country like i'm in contact with some coaches like and like it's important for me to just like keep tabs with them and like congratulate them on wins and like like their head coaches milestones like for example like if you like a few days ago i texted the yukon director of ops like congrats on the win but also like congrats on the contract extension but also like i've texted other coaches like congrats on like on your head coach's 400th win or like whatever like that's just important to keep tabs with them absolutely and, I, think, I think it's just yeah like you say keeping up with their their schedules with their games uh acting like you're following them and you know, watching their games and maybe you pick out something specific you saw in the game and say, I like that. Give them a compliment. I, I think they, they love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like more important to give the positive side more than the negative, like of what they can improve on. Like it's better to give them the positive, even if they lost, just be like, you did a great job with this. And like, I'd love to see that. Like Absolutely. you agree or not? Yeah. hundred percent. Hundred percent. I think it's to keep it positive. You, people want positive people and good people on their staffs um, that are going to have their back. So yeah, of course, if you're if you're staying positive and giving them positive energy, maybe going into their next game, uh, coaches uh, they love that. Yeah. So like transitioning into the next section of the podcast, like what things have you learned about the game of basketball and the coaching business during the COVID nineteen pandemic? Oh. Well, first off, that health is the most important thing, um, and that takes a lot of discipline to have a good season. But especially during this time, um, you know, it, it was a lot on the players to, you know, not do extracurriculars like going out and stuff. They had to limit that, like partying. You're in college, you want to go out and have a good time, but they really had to peel back this year and uh, you know, have discipline. So I think you're seeing like the teams that are most disciplined are the ones that are gonna have the best chance to go the furthest. So they're not getting COVID cases to shut their season down. Um, but I think during this year, athletic trainers, like every team has an assigned athletic trainer. They were a huge piece of the puzzle this year. And, uh, you know, they deserve a ton of credit for, for making this season happen, especially. For sure. Definitely deserve so much credit. And, and there's so many things that go into uh, making this entire season happen and making everything work. We kind of touched on both your playing career and, and your coaching experiences a little bit. Um, who During those experiences of, of playing at those levels and coaching at those levels, who is the, it's kind of, it goes both ways. Who's the best player that you may have played against um, as, a, as a player and then as a coach that you've had to game plan against and it really gave you a tough time um, pregame and making your, your, your scout. Um, so as a player, we played Kentucky in the NCAA tournament in 2016, I believe it was. And they had a stacked team, um, but Jamal Murray was definitely the most talented player that I faced up against. He was really good, so talented. You could see he had all the tools to be a good NBA player. Um, and then as a coach, you know, I, I was a video coordinator, so I'm kind of just, you know, cutting up film. I'm not really doing much on-court scouting stuff. It's mostly on the, on the computer. I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the teams we played. Virginia was awesome. Tony Bennett and his defense. Uh, we played them two years ago, Stony Brook at Virginia, and they're just so disciplined on defense. And they, they really do. They hold you to like 40, 50 points. You're not going to score much, much more than that, of course, unless you're Syracuse. Yeah, like, let's just talk about that Kentucky game. Like, 
what was it like for you playing against a team like Kentucky and having to play against a John Calipari team? Yeah, it's just the talent level is – they have unbelievable talent. Um, nine, ten guys that are just near McDonald's All-Americans or could be in the NBA. Uh, that's the difference at that level. You, they're just so deep, and they, they have height, they're athletic, they're skilled. They have every aspect to be a good basketball player from one to ten. Yeah, like let's talk about like the challenges, like – what challenges did you have to face going up against them other than that they were McDonald's All-Americans? Let's, let's talk even deeper into this, like more like scouting and like how you played them, like offensively, defensively. Like, let's dive into that. It's like, what were some of those challenges you had to face playing a team like Kentucky on, like on the court? I mean, in those, that, that game, we, we went into it, we were saying, we're going to give it our best shot. They were, I think the three C, we were like the 14 or something like that. Um, so we knew it was going to be a, tough game for us but um we had a really good big man and we had been we had been just dumping it into the ball to him all season long and that was what got us to the tournament so we weren't going to stop doing that this kid was averaging 20 and 10 Jamil Warney unbelievable player um so that was what got us to that position so we were going to keep doing that he ended up having 26 in that game in on national tv in the tournament so we didn't stray from doing that um, but they had size, Scalabissier and all types of Alex Poitras in, in the middle. Um, just some freak athletes that sometimes it's just they have the better talent, they have the better players. And you can only do so much scouting at that point. We ended up losing by like 20 or 25. Um, so it was just a tough matchup, tough night for us. But our goal we all year long was we need to get to the NCAA tournament. And we did. So we achieved that goal. We were happy about it. Um, but we just didn't get that that win because their talent level was just so much more superior. Yeah, like one name you brought up for your team was Jameer Warney. Like he played in the US on the USA team for the FIBA America tournament a few years ago. Like, what was it like seeing one of your teammates just play the national level for Team USA? Just if you could talk about that, would be great. Yeah, I mean he's an unbelievable player. It's it seems like everywhere he's went he's been successful. It's like, he's getting 19 and 10 every game, every night. Um, and there's a reason why he makes tons of money in Korea right now and has a good career and is going to continue to have a great career. Um, the, the guy's talented. If you could play, eventually people will see you could play and you'll, you'll be worth your money. Um, but the USA basketball thing for him was an unbelievable experience because he's doing that on a, the national stage for people to see playing against and with the best talent. Yeah, like that America Cup team back in 2017, like I remember that because that team was a team comprised of G League players and like overseas players. It wasn't really like the NBA guys. Yeah. Like that we traditionally see like the superstars, but like this team got challenged by Argentina, I think like, Uruguay, like really Argentina and being down 20 and then coming back up. Like I remember that game. Like I was, yes, like I was, I remember watching like, and just checking the score. Like that was a wild game. Like, have you like. Yeah. It's impressive that you remember that. It's pretty good of you. Um, Yeah. Just. I think that's what it comes down to. Like, People can play everywhere. There's pros everywhere working hard 
to be the best player they could be. Um, for Jamil in that situation and, and that team, it was they were up against, I think it was an Argentina team. They were a scrappy team. And, uh, you know, it's just people are hungry. And USA basketball has a target on their back. We're known as the best basketball country. NBA is the league that everybody wants to play in, obviously. Um, so when people get a shot at, you know, like, the, the G League guys, they're probably like, oh, we, we could beat them. We, they're confident again against them. But, you know, those G League guys are really good. I mean, and Jamil was averaging a 19 and 10 in that league too. So it just shows the – Yeah, I think he caught up a bit. So, like, if you can repeat what you're saying, like, like him winning and getting the gold medal on the national stage, just like if you can repeat what you said, would be great. Yeah, he he's he's done a great job. He's he's an unbelievable player, and uh, yeah. So, like, with that being said, like, like, let's talk about more coaching now. So, like, what is your coaching philosophy? Like, it like as you like if you when you become a head coach, like, what is your coaching philosophy? Yeah, to be honest, I don't think about it much i'm trying to take it step by step um for me it's do the best in the position that you're in so i was a video coordinator last year um and also a bunch of other things also like ordering food for the team scheduling travel doing all types of stuff so it's knocking the position that you're in out of the park um uh, it's fun to look ahead and everything and oh i'm gonna be a head coach one day and i'm gonna run this and do that to be honest, I don't really think about it much. I think about taking it one step at a time. Um, but, you know, I like the style of play. I, I like being – getting out in transition on, on offense, uh, playing fast, uh, pushing the ball in transition, trying to get easy buckets in transition. If you don't have anything on offense, take it out, run a set. Um, you know, I, I, I hopefully get uh, my own offense one day. Yeah, I would like to play really fast. But right now, for me, it's just like I'm trying to trying to get in again and then trying to kill it in that position. Awesome stuff thinking about about that and going a little a little bit deeper into that. What do you, kind of kind of both from when you were playing with well, now, now that you're you're in the video room and you're, and you're seeing all these other high level coaches um, and how they operate? What are you what, what have you seen and what have you kind of said as what would be your standards? Um, if given that opportunity for for building a championship team, what what have you kind of um had um what kind of teams have you been on where you've seen that standard been lived lived out, and then obviously what, when you've been coaching, seeing the same thing happen um, with your head coaches. Yeah, I think obviously it takes good people in the program, uh, people that are just about winning. That that's all they want. They're not selfish because sometimes you get players that are selfish. They want to get theirs. You know, they they all they care about is their stats. You really have to get ten guys who are willing to to sacrifice to win a championship. And that's with my Stony Brook team. When we went to the tournament, everybody knew the goal going in prior to that season. It's like, we're all here to get to the NCAA tournament and everybody bought in. And it was Steve Peichel at the time. Everybody bought into his plan and we ended up going there and it, it was huge for the school and, and for everyone. Um, and then on the coaching staff, it's just, you got to grind and uh, you know, you have to really give yourself, you give your team, the best opportunity to win prepare as best as you can scouts uh, have to be on point and I've been lucky enough to the one year I was in to work with great coaches Brian Weber his guy just grinds 
he like he lives at the office. You know, he he just lives basketball, and uh, his knowledge of the game is unbelievable. Um, and and he was kind of someone who I, you know, look up to because he got in the business um, in his late twenties, and he just grinds his way up to an associate head coach at Stony Brook. Um, so you have to have the I think your coaches need to be locked in all year long and just uh, get the team prepared as as best as possible. Yeah, like for me, like I watch a ton of college basketball and like I've learned from like what these teams do. Like I don't just watch like the power five games, like and obviously the Syracuse games, but I also watch other teams from other conference from other conferences play. It doesn't matter if it's in the power five or mid-major. Like I watch other teams' styles and see how they play. And that's why, like, for me, like I learned so much about each team and just learn from watching while I'm half paying attention, like really paying attention. Like it doesn't matter. Like I'm still learning because either because you can also determine by the win loss and also by the statistics at the end of the game. Like you can really see how these teams played against each other. And with all this new technology with like also the net rankings and like all these other types of rankings, like with quad one, quad two, quad three, quad four games, you can really see that like it's just College basketball has changed with being more statistics driven. And like, I want to see what your take is on like the statistics side of college basketball and like, look, just looking at that from like a scout perspective too. Yeah. I mean, stats obviously play a huge part in, in basketball. Um, if you, if your team has good stats and good percentages, you're probably, you're probably a good basketball team um, with the net and stuff. I guess that is important because they're basing basing like that off of teams that are getting into the tournament, like teams are getting into the tournament with good net ratings and all that stuff. Uh, so it's been interesting that they added that. Um, and then like the eye test obviously is, is huge. Like, um, yeah, it's like these watching these conference tournaments, you really see that at every level, there's good teams like app state Appalachian state. They were, I think fourth in the Sun Belt, And then they end up winning, winning the Sunbelt championship because a kid goes off for 30 in the championship game. One of my former teammates, Mike Almonese, got hot. And now all of a sudden they're in the tournament, they're dancing. So I think there's good players everywhere and teams can pass the eye test. Uh, it helps them get in. But yeah, I think it's cool that they added all the the net in and all that stuff. It it gives this, the, like the statisticians, you know, a chance to look at that stuff and it adds a different dimension into uh getting teams into the tournament. You talk about the eye test and like, like comparing each other's resumes, like Sundays are actually selection Sunday. So if you don't mind, like, would you be able to share, like who you think out of every team that's in the bubble, which teams are the most qualified to be in the NCAA tournament and give a reason behind why each team you think you can list for why you think they should be in the tournament. I don't know if I could name four right now, but um, I mean, Seton Hall's was on the bubble until yesterday they beat St. John's. That was a huge win for them. I think that puts them in completely. Um, you're probably going to disagree with me on this, but Duke was hot. Like before they just ended their season, they, they were hot. Like, I thought if they if they won one, one more game, they're in. Um, I like them, so it's unfortunate that they um, are out now. 
Um, I'm trying to think of other teams on the bubble. Who else? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't even – I can't even think of others right now. But those are two that I, I thought Duke was going to make a little bit of a run there. And then uh, Seton Hall, I think, is going to get in now. Yeah, like, the only thing I would really say is, like, like when I heard the Duke news, it was kind of upsetting because they were playing very really well. But my message is, like, I hope everyone feels well and they just stay safe, stay, stay healthy. Like, that's the message I would give. And let's just talk about Rutgers since we're going to be heading into the final section of the podcast. Let's really have a conversation about Rutgers. Like, what was your feeling when you heard that your head coach, Stormbrook, was now taking the job at Rutgers? At first, you're upset. I had a year left of eligibility, so it's like, yeah, I came here to play for this coach, Steve Peichel, but he got a better opportunity at Rutgers, so I understood he had to take that job. Uh, Money-wise and the opportunity to coach in the Big Tens, if not the best conference in the, in the, in the nation. So, you know, at first you're, you're upset, you're pissed, you're emotional, but you got to understand that life goes on and you have a decision to make. Do you transfer or do you stay at Stony Brook, which is like home for me and, and stick it out. So I, I stuck it out with coach Jeff Bowles and he was a great coach for me my senior year. He kind of put the ball in my hands and allowed me to just run the offense. Um, played with a lot of freedom that year and it ended up being a good experience for me. Um, as far as Steve Peichel goes, he's, an unbelievable coach. Um, he took a, a program in Rutgers that was in the dumps. And now I think they're one or two wins away from playing in the big 10 tournament championship. And they're a lock for the NCAA tournament. Uh, they hadn't been to the tournament, not a, a long time. So he's doing an unbelievable job there. Yeah. Like I think Rutgers tonight has a game against Illinois tonight. So like, if you can give me a preview on that, like from a broker side of things, like what is a way how if you are if you are with Rutgers, like what is your take for Rutgers in order to beat Illinois, who has a who has two dominant players in Kofi Cockburn and Io DeSumo? Yeah, for for Rutgers tonight, they just need to to lock in on defense. They have a Illinois has a high powered offense. They have a lot of talent. Um, Andre Cabrillo um, is unbelievable sixth man of the year. They're just really talented on offense. So Steve Peichel has always been a defensive minded coach. So he needs to you know, get his team to play great defense tonight um, and just lock in, get as many stops as they can and then, and then hit some shots. They're going to need to hit some outside shots. They've been struggling shooting the three. Um, but if they hit a few shots, it's definitely going to be a good game. It'd be a huge win for them as well. They've, I think they're looking at like an eight or nine seed right now, and they could maybe get a higher seed if they win tonight. Yeah, like so much can happen in college basketball these next few days. Like any, like as the saying goes, anything can happen. And that's just the, just what we've seen in college basketball this year. Like, and like we, we've been talking about this on the podcast, like, with like the bubble teams and like the eye test and the net rankings. So let's just keep going on the conversation of Rutgers. Like me and you have talked about this too on the side. 
Rutgers and like to end off the podcast and you can go in depth on this too, like all you want. Like if you can give us like a, just a takeaway message on like, other than like your connection to Steve Pico for Rutgers head coach, like why you think you would be the best fit to join a coaching staff if they have if and when they have an opening. I mean, if, if I ever got that opportunity, I, w- I would run. I would run to Jersey to be a part of his program. Um, he's just an unbelievable guy. Um, he likes good people working for him. So, you know, the people you're working with are good people that just work hard and want to win. Um, and that's from the strength and conditioning coach to the athletic trainer, to the managers, to everybody there is probably a good person uh, just because he's such a good, a good guy. Um, yeah, it's just he, he's so good at getting every person in the program to buy in. And he's very thankful for every person that that is on his staff that's that's helping him win. Um, and I just know he's a good dude, so I would I would love to work for him. Um, and that, that goes the same for my Stony Brook staff as well. Gino Ford, head coach there, he he gave me my first ever college basketball opportunity, so I'm forever thankful for him as well. Um, but yeah, there's a ton of great people in the coaching world. Um, and yeah, it's just about keeping tabs with them and, and building the relationships with them and then giving you an opportunity. Yeah, like that's like the most important thing like that I've been learning during this COVID-19 pandemic is just like making the most of it, like making connections with other people. Like we've connected during the pandemic and like just like connecting with a lot of people like and like I've said this in a few other podcasts since I started, like I'm in two groups called like grow called grow the game and rising coaches. And like, that's helped me a lot, like be able to learn and grow like from other managers and other coaches around the country. And like, I've ma- been able to make so many connections from that, like being on zooms with guys like Jay Billis and like Leonard Hamilton from Florida State and Kunza Martin from Missouri. Like, those guys, like, I just been able to learn a lot from them. And, like, I just wanted to say that as we end this podcast. And Absolutely. thank you so much for, for tuning into this podcast. Thank you so much for you, Lucas, and John, for hopping on this podcast. And I hope everyone has a great day and they enjoy watching the podcast.